Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright, and I am, for the first time ever, joined via FaceTime by uh, Jim Minling. So Jim, it's good to <laughs> is this the same? be here with you. This is on the, on the same Jim Minling that is normally in Ohio, but today I am in Fort Myers, Florida. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Taking some vacation. Um, but And I left like right after, uh, right on Monday, early Monday morning. So this is, we, we couldn't record it like we normally do. So we're doing it on the fly here. <laughs> yeah, we we tried to get a recording in, but we had we had some other stuff going on as a staff, and so this is our second attempt. And uh, hopefully, if you're listening to this, it went really well. <laughs> hopefully, so we're happy to invite you into this conversation. And uh, um, if you've been joining us at Open Door, you know that we've been studying out of the Book of Luke this radical, wonderful, uh, but also difficult teaching from the mouth of Jesus called the Sermon on the Plain. And uh, I've loved just getting to be challenged by the words of Jesus, getting to look at them again, look at them more deeply, pause and reflect on it. And so as we've been in the Sermon on the Plain, this week we were reading verses, I think it was uh, 29 and 30. Yeah. What? Yep. Yeah. Twenty nine and thirty. So we're in this section on enemy love, uh, is is what a lot of our headings will say. But we're in a sermon series called "Expanding Your Circle of Love," just uh, considering how Jesus calls us to love the people in our lives, both yeah. near and far, both right. friendly and enemy. And so then this week we, we read some text about some if statements. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. And uh, even just at face value, these are some really yeah. difficult sayings. sayings and even you mentioned this in your in your sermon, Jim, that mis- often mis- misunderstood sayings. And uh, I really loved kind of how you opened up the sermon. But you know, even before we were recording and even before we were recording the last time, you were sharing with me that as a communicator, you were having some, some misgivings about, man, how do I, yeah. how do I you know, uh, present this text well? Where do I want to go with this? So can, can you bring us more into kind of your thought process with that? Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a joke of, about me as a preacher that I keep taking smaller and smaller bites. Uh, <laughs> and, and I shouldn't say it like that. Smaller and smaller portions in order to try to address, because I'm trying to draw out some of the things that Jesus talks about. And so instead of addressing, you know, 16 verses and with one sermon, I'm, you know, narrowing it down to just a couple of verses at a time. But this is, a, this is one of those sermons that we were addressing three different things Jesus said. I would have loved to have done a whole sermon on just the one line. Um, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn it into the other just all by itself. And even if we had just done that verse, which I spent the most time on, even if we had just done that verse, I don't think it would have been enough. So, and the reason why I have misgivings is not only because it was such a loaded passage and we only have a limited amount of time, but this is one of those 
topics that I would much rather have a dialogue about versus a monologue. And that's one of the beautiful things yeah. about Cutting Room Floor is that you and I can dialogue together. And, um, you know, one of the, there's so many things that I wish I would have said. One of them being um, just to acknowledge um, all the emotions that get attached to this yeah. topic. Um, you know, starting with what you said a couple of seconds ago that this this verse has been misused and misinterpreted by so many people. This verse has probably been used mostly, this one and the one in Matthew, to address, you know, nonviolent reactions when someone assaults you or, you know, what should we do when we're called into the military? You know, this verse has been used to address things that it was never intended to address. Um, right. But we we can't ask Jesus, you know, in the Bible, some direct questions. So people, you know, just take the next thing they can find or they, they just flat out misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Instead of thinking this is about an insult, they think this is about a, a, a violent situation. Somebody punched you. Somebody struck you. Somebody tried to start a fight and hit you. And it looks like that, but that's not what's happening. And, and like, for instance, one of the things I was I feel bad about is that, you know, I went from preaching and when, when my preaching style is very, you know, authoritative. This is what the Lord says. This is what the text says. This is what Jesus says. Mm. Let's submit ourselves to the teaching of Jesus, you know. And I, I feel, you know, really strongly about not explaining away the words of Jesus or not ignoring the words of Jesus, but just letting them hit with all their power because he's the one that said them. I, I don't have any authority. Any authority I have is yeah. derived. It comes from what Jesus said. So that's how I normally preach. But in this sermon, I went from that, doing that in the first part of the sermon, <laughs> to, to addressing some things that Jesus didn't address because I knew they were on people's minds. And I knew um, that they were thinking these things and that this passage would bring those right. things up. So, like, since... Since this passage, this is a huge statement, since this passage is not about how to handle a violent situation when you're punched or, you know, someone's trying to start a fight with you, then maybe I shouldn't have even addressed those other things at all. Maybe, <laughs> you know, looking back, maybe I should have just said, since Jesus doesn't address it, let's not address it. But at my heart as a pastor... I was feeling for all these people who do have these emotions about, well, I was assaulted, uh, or I was, you know, God forbid, but I was raped, you know, someone might say, or, or you know, I, I did struggle with whether I should go in the military, and I did, uh, I, you know, I, so I fought yeah. for my country, or, or let's say a person says, you know, I didn't struggle at all, but I, I actually, you know, uh, volunteered to be in the military because I believe somebody needs to protect our freedoms and I was happy to, to if necessary to sacrifice my life you know all these emotions that that are swirling in the room you know and just to acknowledge them you know I am so grateful for people who were willing to sacrifice their life so we could have the discussion that we're having today you know that's a, that's another whole other topic yeah. but that conversation gets it gets you know, m morphed into this text, and it shouldn't. <laughs> um, right, right. And so, so I may, maybe I'm being confusing here. I, I, I recognize that 
I'm, I'm coming as a communicator and an expositor of the word. I'm also coming as a pastor. I care about Absolutely. the people's, how do I handle these things? And I, I just don't think I did a good job of blending exposition of what does the text say and blending pastoral care. Um, mm. And so I did kind of a um, a little bit of half and half, and I think I left a, you know a lot of things on the table that I wish I uh, uh, cutting room floor. I left a lot of things on the cutting room floor, <laughs> so maybe we can address some of those <laughs> things, you know, today. Yeah, because uh, you know what, what when when people recognize that this text is not about military service, it's not about when you get beat up in the alley, it's not about these things. Then they try to address those things, and what a lot of people have done is, is like, well, Jesus said, "Turn the cheek," so they just turn Jesus into kind of a, a a teacher of passivity. Just do nothing, just lay there and let everybody do whatever they want, or stand there and let them punch you, um, which is not what Jesus promotes. Um, so why don't you why don't you ask some questions, <laughs> and we'll um, we'll kind of play some of these things out. But before you do start asking questions, let's let's go back to kind of um, the overriding uh, uh, point of entry for me in this text was recognizing the larger yeah. context about how this is about love. And so you know, there's yes, a guy named I, I mentioned Larry Crabb has was so helpful to me so many years ago. You know, to to learn to ask this question: What does it mean to love someone well? I actually think that Jesus is. Jesus is addressing that question without addressing it. And that's why he brings up so many groups. Sure. You know, people who are your enemies, secondarily. People who um, insult you. You know, thirdly, people who you love and who love you. Fourthly, you know, people who are good to you. There's, he, he's teaching us, how do I address all these different kinds of people that are in my life? And in each, one, in each case, I'm asking myself the question, what does it look like to love these people well? Because that's that's the overall question, you know. Jesus says, "By this, everyone will know you're my disciple by your love." So we're always asking, "What does it look like to love like Jesus?" And so I use that for my in my mind. That was the way I addressed the text from the get go. And I think you know that's what Jesus was helping us to see. I'm teaching you guys a whole new way of love. It's my way, and here's some examples. And we wish we wish he would yeah. have gone further and said, Jesus, can, I got a question. So what about guys who are, you know, in the military? Or, you know, what about guys or girls? You know, in, in those days, it wouldn't have been women. But, you know, what do I do if, if someone sneaks up behind me and attacks me? You know, do you have some jujitsu moves to teach me, Jesus? You know, how do I do self-defense? You know, literally, <laughs> I, these are questions that, that come up. And Jesus could have said, that's not what I'm talking about here. But since you asked, let me address it. Oh, Jesus, it would have been great to hear your answer for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, this, we is, just cut this out? is part of the... I, I've still got you. Do you. Can you hear me still? I lost you, but now I just got you back. Okay, very good. Yeah, I, I was just going to say... You know, these are. I think another reason why this is a difficult conversation is because it's a it's a topic that believers have struggled with and wrestled with seriously. Like like you've said, and so you know, I've, in in my in my own right, I've wrestled with these questions. And so e even though it's not directly what the text is is talking about, 
you know, I, I think there's you know, this is this is part of what we what we wrestle with as shepherds. You know, when folks have questions, we we want to help to address right. them from a biblical perspective. And so, I, yeah. I do, you know, with topics like this, like you said earlier, I think conversations are great. And so, as we're continuing this conversation. You know, you mentioned Larry Crabb. I-, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more just about you, you talked about how Larry Crabb was a big influence on you. Yeah. Uh, even yeah. You know, through his books and those sorts of things. Can you tell us more about how you got into connected with him and how he influenced your view of loving others? Oh, yeah. Boy, we we got to be careful here. We could talk forever just about this. Um, <laughs> but uh, Larry. Larry is a psychologist, a trained doctor of psychology, and had a medical, uh, um, a counseling practice as a doctor of psychology. But he also was an elder in a local church, and he began to recognize that so many people were coming into church, or come, I'm sorry, coming into counseling appointments with questions that he thought to himself, "This basically boils down to how do I get along with people? How do I love people?" Mm. And I would rather answer this question as an elder in my church than I would as a doctor of psychology and a counselor. But you're coming to me in my counseling office with this, you know, these questions that really might, you know, I can handle this better as an elder or the elders in the church. And so that began to kind of weigh in him. So he began to write books and, and got himself in trouble with some of his colleagues in the world of psychiatry and psychology by saying, you guys, most of you don't need psychology. You don't need a counselor. You don't need a psychiatrist. You need an elder in a church who will teach you how to follow Jesus, who will teach you how to love people, who will teach you how to do relationships. And so with that as the background, he began to write books on relationships and marriages. He wrote a book called Marriage Builder that was awesome, a book called Inside Out that was talking about how so much of our relational challenges come because there's things that are happening inside of us that have been buried that we haven't dealt with and we need to deal them from inside out instead of outside in. And I'm reading these books and going to his seminars like I'm a young pastor and I'm like, whoa, this is fabulous. So I started taking in more of his stuff and it really shaped, as a very young pastor, it shaped my whole relational approach to, to, to marriage, to parenting, to best friends, to neighbors, to everything. It's all about love and how we get along. So any book you can find from Larry Crabb, you know, read it. He's dead now, but he's got tons of books. And they all come from the same basic perspective of um, how everybody is made in the image of God and how what does it look like to love people and how we all have buried things inside of us that we're not aware of. And we... We inadvertently develop strategies that make life work for us. And so we want to uncover those strategies, in some cases repent of them, and then try to love people in a much in a more in a purer way that's not um, that's not encumbered by all of these unconscious, subconscious strategies that, that are self-protective that we're trying to do to to you know make our get our way. And you know, we could talk a, little, a lot more about this, but um, you, know, you hear me say from time to time about being made in the image of God. You know, that that stuff that I was learning as a twenty or twenty-something pastor that you know still stays with me today. It's one of my primary. Mm. When I talk about relationships, 
it's about everything starts with you were made and the other person was made in the image of God. And, you know, that, that affects everything about how we relate to one another. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love how Larry Crabb, he gets at this heart of loving people well and then applying his discipline in psychology to help us make that even more practical. Yeah. It's not that Jesus' teachings lack practicality, but whenever you're able to bring a new angle into that, yeah. is I, I think it's so fascinating and so helpful yeah. to, to help us think about our own thought processes. Um, but when, when as we're thinking about the words of Jesus here, another question I had as I was listening to the sermon has to do with, you know, so if we're receiving insult and if we're being you know in, in some sense taken advantage of like someone's taking my coat i'll give it them my tunic as well you, you talked a little bit about the um about the like cultural background i wonder was there any more about the cultural background or are were there any resources that you would recommend if people are curious to learn more about you know the the oh uh, background probably. with roman soldiers taking people's coats for example or or things along those lines yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't name them all, but any good sure. commentary. Um, uh, uh, let's see here. What's um? Oh, I just lost the guy's name. Um, he's down at Asbury now. Um, New Testament gospel scholar um, wrote the IVB. Craig Keener, um, Craig Keener, who wrote the University oh, yeah. Press um, New Testament or biblical backgrounds commentary is a great yeah there you go that one right there yep um <laughs> i'm holding it up yeah for so so helpful um, um any other good evangelical commentary will recognize because they've done the cultural backgrounds of the first century and they've done that research yeah and so you know they bring that out in commentaries to help people see whoa 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 we got to not read this from 21st century eyes i know it's 2024 but we got to live in 2024, but we've got to go first, go back to first century. And, right. you know, there's so many things today. Like it, I, there's so many things today that if we language, we were to use language, somebody a thousand years from now, I'd be, what are they talking about? You know, right. Um, since, since we're talking about being insulted, you know, I, I think one of the most crass things you can do today is, is to give someone the finger. Okay. That's just a it's horrible um, gesture that's way beyond insulting. It's vulgar. It's there's there's no place for that in the life of a Christian. But it, people do it all the time, and they they talk, they laugh about giving the finger. So a thousand years from now, if someone reads, someone gave them the finger. You know, what do they think that you you handed your your forefinger to them and say, "Here's my finger." You know, ha, ha. They don't know what we're talking about. But right. All of us instantly like, oh, oh my gosh. You know, I, I remember I was in Israel one time. And I was sitting in the, the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, and I crossed uh, my leg so, so, so that my ankle was on my knee. A, you know, a lot, a lot of guys sit that way. Think about it. My ankle was sitting on my knee, so the bottom of my, of my foot was exposed. And a, um, a priest came up to me and asked me, please stop insulting the people around here. Put your foot down. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I, I didn't know what he meant, so I did some research. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, to have your the bottom of your foot exposed in most Middle Eastern cultures is a very 
insulting, aggressive, if not vulgar thing to do? Well, I did. I, I was clueless. And so, uh, you know, this is one of the great things about these, these guys that, and women that, these, that do this great research for us in first century cultural backgrounds. And I'm fascinated by these things. Um, they help us bring, bring us into the world of the first century because these people Absolutely. heard Jesus and had no problem understanding him. Nobody, when Jesus said, you know, quote unquote, Luke 6:29, nobody there thought, oh, he's talking about what do I do when a Roman soldier punches me in the face or when a person in the marketplace you know, punches me and, and, or assaults me. No one would have thought that. They all would have thought, oh, in interpersonal relationships, when somebody throws out an insult, boom, that's what they would have recognized and thought. And so that's how they would have heard Jesus. But that's not how we hear it. So yeah. we need to take us back into that. Yeah. And this is one of those, you know, hermeneutics and Bible study type of questions that sometimes people will ask, man, do we really need to understand the original audience? Do we really need to get into the original culture oh. that Jesus was speaking to or that the Absolutely. Bible was written to? And this is one of those times where you're, it's like clearly yeah. you, you need to pay attention to this. Um, now, that said, I, I think, you know, because then there's, there's always folks saying, well, does that mean you can't read and understand the Bible? And I would say... No, 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 that's not what no. it means at all. It means that you no, no. you can read and understand the Bible, uh, and, and and you know the words of Jesus, even even like we've been talking, even at face value, there's a lot of value in reflecting on them. It's just a matter of recognizing your cultural bias and recognizing your you know, temporal bias, yeah. if you will. Um, but uh, e even within that, so we're talking about insult. We're talking about somebody stealing from you. These are still really difficult things to just sort of take. Um, and, and so you, you addressed in your sermon how turning the other cheek is not so much a diminutive, dismi you know, submissive uh, stance as Passive. much as it is a... Right, it, but it's more of a dignified. It's more of a, hey, if you're going to do this, then go ahead and do it type of a... You know, you're not, you're not egging them on. You're... you're, you're you're, you were trying to sort of ride a fine line there. Um, but yeah, uh, even, yeah, yeah. So do you want to share more about that fine line and what, what Jesus was, was suggesting to folks? Um, yes. Um, so, you know, one of the things that Jesus is trying to do is to de-escalate the... The, uh, the, the, the natural response when we get insulted. It's to insult back. You know, oh, you, you say something about me, I'm going to say something about you. you. You say something about my kids, I'm going to say something about your mother. You know, and it just escalates. It did then, it does now. And insults, like violence, they're, they're similar. They, they, they keep escalating until somebody interrupts the cycle. Until somebody says, you know, I'm not going to return that kind of insult with an insult. Um, it's like the book in the yeah. book of Proverbs says, a, um, a soft answer turns away wrath. Um, that's the same kind of concept. I'm going to de-escalate this, this language, this, es this escalation. But what Jesus adds to it is not only am I going to de-escalate it, but I'm going to do it by adding a sense of 
dignity because another thing that people tried to do was to kind of like one up each other with the things they would say and do. So, you know, I'm of a higher class than you, or I'm wealthier than you, or, uh, you know, in some cases, you know, I'm a, I'm a, um, a slave owner and, you know, and I, I feel, think I've got special privileges again, slave in the first century, not slave in 21st century or, you know, 1950s. Um, uh, or I, you know, I'm a man, and I'm trying to power up against, you know, a, um, a, a woman or something. In, in the first century, you had these people who were trying to, with their words, make statements that were kind of like, I'm better than you. I'm bigger than you. Uh, in, in reality, we all know it's bullying. And we all know that bullies are bullies because they're insecure, because they're weak, <laughs> be, because they've been hurt and don't know how to deal with it. And so the, their bad strategy is to power up on people. And so, you know, Jesus kind of says, don't let them do whatever they want. But in turn the other cheek, I tried to illustrate that physically. It's, it's a way of, of saying, I'm forcing your hand to, re to reveal that you are powering up, that you are acting immature, that you are acting... Um, like a week, and I'm exposing you, <laughs> and and so I'm maintaining my dignity, but at the same time exposing your shame. Now this is a you know a shame on our culture, which is a little bit different than well, it's different from ours, and so you know like for instance, if if a person, if this is kind of strange, if a person is naked. It's the people that saw them that are shamed, not the person mm. it, who themselves as much who is shamed. It, it's, it's the fact that I saw you, I, I'm shamed now. And it, it goes both ways, but it, it's, it, um, it's, it's very much also this idea that I saw something. And so you shamed me. And so because you didn't have clothes on, you shamed me as well as you shamed yourself. And so... Um, that's a little bit also what Jesus is doing with that verse 30. You know, if, if they say in a court of law, you know, I, I want to take your cloak from you, go ahead and give them your shirt. So you're like half naked now. And so you're, you're exposing the fact that they had the audacity to take away your, you know, your cloak that you need to live with. That it reveals how, you know, um, vicious they are, how, um, undignified they are, how uncaring they are, how inhumane, that's a good word, how inhumane they are. And so Jesus, you can see the subversive, the subversiveness that's going on. <laughs> he, he is coaching us to do things that expose the inhumane person. Um, but at the same time, that's de-escalating the insults and, or de-escalating the violence. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And that's such a and interesting because because the the taking your coat um, in the in the legal context is that where is that where you like in your research was it more in a legal context as opposed yeah. to sort of in a petty petty crime sort of a way? Oh, absolutely. Um, interesting. I, yeah, I don't think I don't think I address this in both sermons, but in one of the contexts here is that in the first century there was a massive land grab that was happening from with the Romans were taking land from the Israel, Israelites by 
using the legal system. And the way they were doing this is they were piling on so many taxes that the Israelite couldn't pay them, therefore would go into a ridiculous debt and they, the, the landowner would take them to court and say, hey man, you didn't pay your taxes, now you've got this debt and not only am I going to take your land, I'm going to take all your belongings, I'm going to take your very cloak, I'm taking everything from you. Mm. And uh, this, you know, it's so inhumane, it's so vicious. And so Jesus says, if, if that happens, give them your shirt too. <laughs> kind of like, what are you going to do, strip me naked? You know, are, how far are you going to go before your inhumanity, your inhumane treatment, you know, gets called out? And see, all that, all that yeah. comes from this context and this background. Yeah, and it is, it is subversive, and I think the hope would be that folks would be able to see that and respond to it, and yet we know from the context that the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, it doesn't rely on, it's not trying to get a rise out of people in any way. It's not relying on their response at all. And so that means that Jesus is potentially inviting his followers to a way of loving others that will result in loss. And so another question I had was... What what is the hope that we have that allows us to suffer loss well as Christians? Yeah, because because I think that's important to address, or else it's just like, oh well, you know, this this feels foolish. It feels ridiculous. Why would I do this? Yeah, yeah, and that's I, I, again, there's such a big difference between my first sermon and my second sermon. I can't remember which one I address this in, but you know, when we come at the kingdom that Jesus is in, is in initiating and looking at the life that we have, it, Jesus is calling us, and the whole New Testament is calling us to take a, com- a completely different approach with the way we look at our own life. So instead of living lives of self-protection, I lay down my life for the sake of, of God. Uh, instead of looking at ways I can preserve my life, I'm, I'll do whatever it takes to advance the kingdom, to advance the message of Jesus. And so I'm, I'm going exactly against one of the deepest instincts in human nature, that survival instinct, that self-protection instinct. Right. You know, if, if you were to swing at me and I were to see you swing at me, Clay, which I tried to get you to do on Sunday, but it, you know, in the first service, I had Dwayne Miller do it in the second service. But if, if you and I were someplace and you were to, to, to take a swing at me and I saw you, instinctively I would go into a fight you know, even if it's defense, you know, I'm blocking you. I wouldn't just stand there and get, let you swing away because instinctively I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to protect myself. That, and so those instincts go deep. And you know, there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with protecting myself. I'm just saying that when that becomes an emotional thing and a verbal thing, and my self-protection and self and survival instincts turn into, I will attack you. I will kill you. I will do everything what it takes to to you know get rid of the of the threat then we now we've got a combination of survival instincts that have been blended with sin original sin the sin that we all deal with and so instead of it being a a natural thing now it's been blended with my my original sin and so now i'm not not only am i defending i want to punch i want to fight i want to get rid of you as a threat you know that's my my, my sinful self-protection. And so when I say that phrase, 
don't hear that self-protection is sinful, hear that sinful self-protection is sinful. And that, 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 mm. those phrases, those needs, words need to go together. So like, for instance, you know, I would pull out one of the phrases that I, I, I guess I wish I wouldn't have said it the way I said it was uh, talking about, um, you know, it, in the circumstance where you have done everything you can to keep this person who's attacking you from hurting you. You've, you've done, you know, put your arms up or you've pushed them or you've distracted them, you've prayed for them, you've talked to them, you've done everything you can. And now as a very last result, resort, you are resorting to doing something that could be deadly force. It could be, um, you know, something that's violent. That's a last resort. And, you know, and that's, that's the way um, I've never been to a, a concealed carry class, but when people talk to me about that and I hear them describe it, that's what they are taught. They're taught to use deadly force as a last resort. You know, when, when I, I have friends that are cops, uh, they're taught to use re deadly force as a last resort. So it's, in a way, I wasn't saying anything different, but what, what, where it got different was I said that if you have to use deadly force and it does become deadly, that you actually accidentally kill them or you just, you know, you kill them in self-defense, you've taken a life. And I, I wish in the sermon I had used the phrase, you've taken a life, that, that phrase, instead of the word murder. Um, because the word murder has got, is so charged. Now, the word murder is the King James translation of the Sixth Commandment. Thou shalt not right. murder. Um, but even translators have recognized the, the weight of that word. And so if, mm. if you look up most translations today, the Sixth Commandment, Exodus twenty thirteen, says, Do not kill. Thou shalt not kill. So the, the word is right. murder. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a right translation to translate murder. But murder has weight to it. It has a freight, a legal freight to it. And um, I, I wish that I had not used the word murder. I wish I had used the, either the phrase taking a life or killing someone. Um, you know, it's, in, in one respect, it's the same result. A person has died. But when it comes to legal things, these things get sorted out, you know, in terms of whether or not you're going to be charged with, you know, with murder or charged with manslaughter or, or what. And it's, it's hard... Right to, in the same breath, in the same sermon, keep separate the legal language of 21st century from the moral relational language of the first century, but also the legal language of the first century. So there's three worlds, legal language of first century, legal language of 21st century, a moral relational language of, you know, anybody who's trying to apply that. So if I had used the phrase, you know, if, as a last resort, you know, you, you, you have to use violence, you have to use, um, you know, a weapon. If you end up taking a life, now you've got that weight on you, that you took a life, that you, you actually killed someone. And that's heavy. You know, now, some people, it's not as heavy as others. Uh, I have a, a good friend who I went to Vietnam with who wanted to go to Vietnam to some of the places where he killed people because he was fighting for his country and he was obeying his authority and he was mm -hmm. uh, 
doing everything he knew how to do, and yet he says, I took a life. And he told me stories about this woman, or about this boy, or about that man. He could still see it all these years later. And and it's it's just horrific, you know? And um, the PTSD that people deal with because of wars, or because of a fight, or because of an assault, or, or because of a, a situation that you were in, these are horrible, ter terrible things that people have to deal with. And it's hard to talk about these in a monologuical sermon. Um, you know, it's, you know, you're not only thinking about the person that who's attacking you because you're, you're thinking about what do they have, what's best for them. You're actually trying to protect them from, you know, killing you or, damage you, you're hurting you such a way that they have to pay a, 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 you know, they have to go to jail for that. You're trying to tuck them out of it. You're trying to keep them from happening because they're going to suffer for what they're doing right now. But also, you're going to suffer the PTSD of things that have gotten so violent that I had to take a life. Um, yeah. For some, for some people, that's not as big a deal. But for other people, they, you know, I, I prayed with a bunch of people Sunday after both services and, and one of the people I prayed with some of the things that I said brought up memories that they dealt with, that they had been assaulted, or these, they had been in some of these situations, and, and it was so hard for them, so difficult, so painful, and I, I just felt horrible, and yet they said, this, you know, this, I have to deal with these things, this is good for me to deal with these things, I guess I need to, you know, to forgive. So all, you know, you know, all these people I pray with after the service, they're all dealing with these things because they raised issues for them of the kind of very thing we're talking about and it's boy it's hard to it's hard to address these into a in one sermon where there's such a broad spectrum of people and again as i said earlier you know just to acknowledge all the emotions in the room of that people are feeling um yep. that are real you know the guilt the shame mm -hmm. the, the anger the fear these, all these emotions that, that people are feeling, just let's just acknowledge that they're there when these kinds of things get talked about. Absolutely. And when you start getting into territory about self-defense and about assault and these sorts of things, you're, you're dealing with horrible, worst-case kind of yeah. scenarios already. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that makes it so hard is you're you're trying to figure out, okay, how does the scripture teach us to respond to these horrible, horrible, you know, cir circumstances and situations that themselves are a result of sin? Yeah. And so, you know, this is something that I think every, I, I think, at least me as a dad, as a father, as a husband, um, I've really wrestled with these, you know, just because I sure. feel responsible as a protector. Um and in the you know in the worst cases in self-defense, uh, I just lost you. If there does come a time where, as you said, you need to take take a life, I don't think I just I, you, that's you just not cut something out. to rejoice. Oh, I, I was just saying how if if you were in a self-defense encounter and you had to take a life, I, I, you know that's not like a good outcome for anybody. You know, oh, and, and neither well. is. You laying down and getting getting murdered. You know that's none of this is a happy outcome, yeah. and so I think that that's just something to be reminded of is we're dealing with these very difficult worst case scenarios that 
people wrestle with. And so anytime when you're talking about the end of someone's life or taking their life, you know, death was never God's intention for humanity. And so, so things that involve the ending of life, you know, these, these are things that one day in heaven we won't have to wrestle with. <laughs> We're not going to have to deal with these moral conundrums because they're going to be they're going to pass away when the presence of sin is gone. And so, you know, that's something at least we can look forward to and I think frame that we're, we're not living in an ideal world. We're living in a world that forces us into very difficult circumstances. You know, you get some of the classic moral dilemmas like should you lie in order to protect yeah. someone from being killed? Right. You know, that's just a lose-lose oh. situation. Yeah. You know, and so you and that's that's another thing that we you know we, we didn't get to talk about yet is conflicting principles or conflicting values. You know, is it is it permissible to take a life to defend someone else's life? You know, in the case of you know a dad with his children, you know, all, all these questions are good questions to wrestle with. And I think you know, Scripture does provide some principles for us to deal with, but there's nowhere in Scripture where it lays out and says, you know, here's exactly how you should handle self-defense encounters. That's why I think the conversations are so necessary is just to talk about it to talk about the emotion to talk about the difficulty so that's and that's that's one of the reasons why um you know i'm excited to keep having conversations about about scripture and about the sermons is because that this is what the church does is we work out we talk out these difficult ways you know ways of dealing with worst case scenarios (laughs) you gotta you gotta talk about it and receive the text you do, and and you also have to be willing to live with some of the tension that and mm-hmm. the, there's there's not always black and white answers, and uh, and we have to acknowledge that and accept that you may see things differently than me. It doesn't make you know me right and you wrong, or you right and me wrong necessarily. Uh, some of these things are different perspectives, the ways I, that you were raised. You know, like for instance, a person, let's say a person was raised in a military family and, you know, their grandfather and their great-grandfather and their dad and their mother and, you know, all were in the military. And so it's this strong military family. It was in their, it's in your, in your blood. Well, you're going to see things and have a perspective that's very different from someone who was, you know, not raised in that kind of a home or raised in a, you know, a, a home where everybody in your family was maybe uh, served in um, uh, and, and as policemen and policewomen, um, so just acknowledging that we all have different perspectives, we come from different backgrounds, and that where the Bible is very, very clear but hard to hear, then we we lean into that and we take a big breath and we go, okay, I want to be a follower of Jesus, and I know this is hard, this is really challenging me, but I want to follow Jesus more than anything else. Than we do, but where the Bible is not as clear or as applicable, or more, it's not as applicable to my perfect situation, then we just seek as the wisdom we can, we can, and we live the best we can, and trust God that I, I, I'm not trying to evade things. I'm not trying to excuse my behavior. I'm just trying to understand what Jesus said and how do I apply it to my life, because you know that's what will be, you know, judged for. You know, like, you know, I think, is it James or Paul? I think it's James. Yeah, it's James who says to a person who knows that something is sin and does it, you know, or, or thinks that it's sin and does it, 
Well, you know, then it's sin for you, but it might not be for somebody else because they're raised in a different culture. And so they don't feel that that's like, you know, he's talking about eating food sacrificed to idols, something like that. It's not, well, I'm allowed to kill people. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, earlier you were talking about giving the finger, you know, in another culture where that doesn't carry over for them to point out something using their middle finger. Well, that's not sinful for them, but well, it might be point. for me to do that. Good point. Um, you know, so that's, yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's so, you know, ethics and morality, it's such a, you know, I, I, I'm, I've not completed my seminary education. I have taken a couple of classes, and my ethics class was one that I really, really enjoyed. And, you know, there's, there's a whole field of study that deals with these questions and different ways to look at them and answer them and how to square Scripture with it. And so uh, you've, I'm not an expert ethicist, I'm a, but I am a biblical you know, a student of Scripture. I am a pastor, and so... You know, what we want to traffic in is continuing to come back to the text, continuing to have conversations, continuing to pray with people. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, it's, these are, like, like we said earlier, just difficult conversations to have. But, but they're, question, they're, they're questions and conversations I don't think we should be afraid of as the church. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, it, it, we, we, we do have a hope in Christ that goes beyond all of this, you know, even in the midst of worst-case scenarios. And, yes. you know, we, we have in the Scriptures everything that's needed for life and godliness. And so it's not, it's not as though we're left without any sort of help right. in these matters. Um, the probably, I don't, I don't know if time allows for us to, like, get into all that the Scriptures have to say about, <laughs> you know, all of these different issues. No, we don't. But, um, <laughs> But at the very least, you know, just the encouragement to continue talking about it, continue having the conversation, because that, that, that's how we're going to work things out in the midst of difficulty. Um, you know, you, you, and the church has been unified on, like, like, a lot of these things. So, for example, I remember, Jim, you and I were having a conversation a while back, uh, maybe a week or two ago about how even though the early church disagreed on a lot of yeah, things right. uh, doctrinally, that, yeah. that you and I would say, oh, this is like bedrock for, for the Christian faith. Right. Uh, you know, things that, things that we think so strongly about or we, we feel so strongly about. And how could you not see this in the text? Like those sorts of things. Um, yet, so, so the early church didn't always have consensus about well, all of those things. Let's name some of those. Like, for instance, this, the same church... You know, 200, 300, 400 A.D., the same yeah. church, capital C church, that was not agreed on about the nature of Jesus. Is he fully God and fully man? Is he part God, part man? Is he God just in a body who's borrowing a body? Is he a ghost? The, the godly, brilliant men argued about these things in the first uh, three or 400 years of Christianity were not agreed about. The Trinity, they did they, you know, they had to hammer out, okay, what does the Bible mean? And it took them a couple hundred years of church councils to kind of sort it all out. In the middle of all this disagreement about very important things, one thing they were, to, were absolutely agreed upon, as far as we can tell, was that Jesus' teaching that you should never take a life, the, the sanctity mm-hmm. of life, the, the you know, the, the, the life is, is sacred, and that followers of Jesus should not take another human life. And it's, you think about, wow, of all the things that the early church 
couldn't agree on. They all agreed about that. Um, and that's because Jesus' words were so mind-boggling and um, just so stunning to them. And because he cast a vision about life beyond this world. So you had hundreds of people who were who knew when I go into the you know, to the lion's den, I'm going to be killed. Who knew that when I opened that front door, I'm opening the door to my own death. Who, who knew that they and their family were going to be put to death for the sake of Jesus. They walked right into it with the mindset of, I love Jesus so much. And, you know, I, I'm not being attacked because I'm, uh, because of my name. I'm being attacked because of my association with Jesus Christ. And they, the Bible says willingly, the early church history says willingly, and in some cases people eagerly, which is boggles my mind, they eagerly um, went to, the, to, to, to their death for the sake, and Paul says, of suffering for suffering for Jesus. They had a better hope. They had a hope for a future. They, they realized this life is not all there is. And so that, Jesus' vision was so captivated thousands and thousands of people that as a whole they were like I'm willing to die for this and when they said it they meant it and many of them did you know when I say yeah. you know hey that's not a hill I'm willing to die on I, I throw that phrase around but you know, I, you know when I say I'm willing to die for this well I, I think I am but I've never actually had someone put a gun to my head I've never been tortured for what I believe and um, right. that's, that's stunning that Jesus' influence was so strong in this area that thousands of people were willing to suffer and die in his name for his sake because of what they believed. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what's interesting about that, and you can correct me, I, I, you know, I haven't read about this in quite a while, but I'm also remembering that even in the midst of all that, you know, you, they, they, the early church wrestled with questions like, hey, if you're a Roman soldier who converts to Christianity, should you leave your job? You know, should you lay down your weapons and, and that sort of thing? I, and I, and again, correct me if I'm wrong about this. I think I'm remembering this correctly, but you know, there's a passage where Paul says, remain as you are. Mm -hmm. I, I think in, with that phrase, he's talking more about marriage, relationship status, yeah. that sort of thing. But I, I'm, I'm remembering in terms of well, John like, the Baptist, you know, soldiers laying down their weapons. Yeah, when when mm -hmm. John the Baptist, he actually says to, to those of you who are soldiers, uh, he never says to them, "Leave the army," or um, yeah. or he never says, you know, Re "Repent of you know being in the army." So it's it sounds like John the Baptist. I think it says in you know in Mark one um, or maybe Matthew three. I can't. I guess I can't remember which. Um, it sounds like he's basically saying. Whatever, whatever has happened, it has happened. You know, follow Christ in the role that you find yourself. Be the best soldier you yeah. can be. You know, right. see, see, the whole, the army got its whole slogan: "Be all you can be." From from John the Baptist, who said, "You know, be all you can be, the best soldier you can be." <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I, I don't know that. I'm just, yeah, yeah. just joking. Um, and then when you consider, as Christians, we're following the way of Christ. 
and the example that he sets. So, like, what 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 I'm trying to expose here is that there's this there's this strong sentiment in the early church, and yet there's also some evidence that it was wrestled with. And it's like, oh man, you know, they were asking some of these questions, sure. and then you look at the example of Jesus, and in his earthly life, you know, you know, pe- people talk about the one sort of quote unquote violent encounter that he had where he was driving people out of the temple with the whip, but he wasn't, you know. We, we, I would, that would be interesting to talk about. We don't necessarily need to talk about that right now, but ultimately Jesus sets the example of responding, like receiving violence from people rather than, you know, powering up. And I remember Jason Russ preached a sermon uh, years ago at this point about, uh, you know, Peter's response to Jesus being betrayed in the garden. Yeah. And he exposes how, in Peter's mind, this was it. It was revolution time. Jesus was going to power up on them. He was going to reveal, you know, yep. it was going to be the transfiguration 2.0, and Jesus was going to just wreck everybody. Yep. And instead, Jesus chooses to die. And, and so you have this radical, nonviolent response to people who, who did kill Jesus. Yeah. But then you also look at the example and the, all the ways that it talks about Jesus when he returns for a second time. And, and that gives you, like, a different, uh, you know, coloring of how Jesus yeah. is going to respond. So, right. you know, there's—so I guess the, the question that I'm leading up into is if people are wrestling with some of these questions that, again, aren't directly addressed by this text, but having to do with self-defense, having to do with nonviolence. Um, yeah, I guess nonviolence is addressed here in terms of, like, not responding to insult and, you know— you know, the lack of justice with violence. What what sort of resources, or are there any books that you've read that you would recommend to folks who are wrestling with these sorts of issues? Um, yeah, probably the, the most contemporary book would be a book by um, Preston Sprinkle called uh, Fight. Um, hmm. uh, it's, great, it's a great name, isn't it? Um, I, I think that <laughs> may, may have been up, updated um, recently, even though I think he, he wrote that like 2016 or something like that. I think it's been updated again, but Preston Sprinkle is a very, very respected, not only New Testament scholar, but also um, ethicist and a person who's helping a lot of people sort out how do I live out the Bible today. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, books by John Hen- uh, John Howard Yoder um, would 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 challenge some people um uh the gary brashears dr gary brashears i think i mentioned him in one of the sermons um from portland Mm -hmm. seminary out in western seminary out in portland um so these are some names you can start going to to start reading and exploring uh probably start with with sprinkle Uh, funny name preston sprinkle but yeah probably (laughs) start with him yeah yeah i yeah, what's been so interesting for me as I've wrestled with this issue, I, I looked up uh, the book just now by Preston Sprinkle. The, the uh, foreword is by a guy named Shane Claiborne. Oh, yeah. He has a book called The Irresistible Revolution that talks a little bit about nonviolence. Yeah. And when I read that book, it was a total. I was it was a total eye opening for me. You know, I, I yeah. still wrestle with it. You know, it's so that's. That's what sort of threw me into these conversations and these wrestlings. But, you know, this is something that believers have wrestled with for years and years. And so as we're continuing these conversations and as we're ha- having them, let's continue to wrestle, continue to consult Scripture, 
continue to read, continue to bring it back into the conversation. Yep. And then let's remember what Jesus's point was here. And that this is sort of maybe where we can land the plane a little bit, Jim, is when you think about Jesus's ethic of love and what it's going to cost us, you, you, you closed your sermon by calling us to trust in him. You, you yeah. posed the question, how can we live like this? How can we suffer loss gladly? How can we love radically? Well, it's only by trusting in Jesus. And so as you think about Church of the Open Door, what is on your heart for yeah. us as we consider this ethic of love and the difficulty that it poses to us? Yeah. I, I get asked this question, you know, in different kinds of ways, or I, or I turn this, I turn other people's questions to this same answer that I'm about to give, and that is, you just alluded to it, that I want us to be known as people who love, you know, our church. I want us to be known as a church that loves people, everybody, and that we don't just do it in a shallow kind of a sing-song way, but we we wrestle with that. So, like you said earlier, we're willing to have hard conversations and hear hard things and, uh, you know, pray for people going through difficult situations. We want to love well. And so we take the whole idea of, of loving to that next level to ask the question, what does it look like to love someone well? And I, I think I did this in both sermons, but if I didn't, I'll say it again. I would love for one of the things that comes out of the sermon to be that we all start using that question what does it look like to love this person well as a for the rest of our lives and whether it's our spouse or our neighbor or our child or our parent you know name any situation any relational scenario that that this question would so be saturated in our consciousness that we just it's just our it's our reaction what does it look like to love this person well and i just i just ask it out of second nature and I imagine a church of people who are, who that question is the forefront of their mind. And then their goal is, I want to love like Jesus. So that's why I ask, what does it look like to love this question well? I love this person well. And I'm, I'm interacting with the Holy Spirit. I'm asking God. And man, that to me is like the ultimate goal because we're not always going to live perfectly but if we're asking the right questions if we have the right motives if we're at the end of the day just trying to love people well then that's beautiful that's really all a pastor can ask and that's all you know anyone can ask for the for a church is that we're we're seeking to love like Jesus and so this question shapes our every our whole life what does it look like to love this person well so yeah, that's that's Amen. that's my answer to that. Yeah, and and as we become people who ask that, may God give us wisdom yes. for the times when it's so hard. Yes, and, and some of these circumstances we've talked about, you know, may God have mercy on us and give wisdom to those who are dealing with worst case scenarios. You know, yeah. I, I pray that it never happens for me or for you or for our families or for people in our church, but. Um, you know, Christians have had to deal with these things over the years. And so as we do, let's yeah. do it with love. Amen. <laughs> let's do it with wisdom. Amen. Let's do it with scripture in hand. You know, all, all these sorts of things. That, it was it was a church know, are, that are was... close to our hearts. It was a church that was suffering persecution that caused early Roman historians to say, wow, how they love, how they love. That's what stood out. 
in the first couple of centuries as the church was being persecuted and was viewed from their contemporaries. They were struck by the, by the love. So maybe that's where we could stop right there is just, Lord, help us to love like Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, for those of you who are joining us and listening in, thank you for this, uh, for, for making it to the end of this episode and for joining us again for the conversation. We look forward to talking with you, to hearing from you. And uh, we will call it a day for now until the next time we're able to get back on and continue the conversation. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.